0: Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus.
1: Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts,
0: Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello Meister fans and welcome to the show. This is Ben. Hey guys, it's Russell. Today we have Jason Turdeman. Jason is a professional loser and member of the United States luge team. He was introduced to the sport at the age of 11 and has been sliding for 14 years. Among numerous accomplishments including World Cup silver and bronze medals, Jason placed 6th in the team relay and 11th in doubles in the Sochi Olympics this past February. Jason, congratulations on all of your accomplishments, including being named a mountainmeister by Russell
2: and myself. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Jason. So I saw this picture of you and you were standing next to the Olympic rings and you had this huge smile on your face and then you, you tagged the photo and said, when you find something you love, give it everything you have. You never know where it can take you. And that just resonated so much with me and, of course, our listeners, too. Super inspirational. When did you know that luge was something that was worth giving everything you had?
1: Like Ben said earlier, I was introduced to the sport at the age of 11, and it fell into my lap in a way. I'm from uh, Berwick, Pennsylvania, so central Pennsylvania, not uh, not too much luge going on in this area. (laughs) And uh, I was in sixth grade. I came home from school. My mother had seen a flyer for luge tryouts at work and uh, asked me if I'd like to go give it a shot uh, one weekend in the summer. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I was 11 years old, and you'll try anything once, right? So <laughs> I got invited to Lake Placid to try this sport for real the following winter. it's something I truly enjoyed from the first run I ever took, and I was kind of hooked. My third season, I was I was sitting in the cafeteria in Lake Placid watching the Olympic Games from o2 and watching my not my teammates but my seniors compete. That's kind of when it hit me when I was a kid. I was like, you know, I want to... I want to see how far I can take this, see if I can make the Olympic Games. And that was like 11 years ago.
0: So what sort of steps do you need to take in order to make that happen? How much time are you committing to this when you're 11 years old?
1: Uh, well, back when I started out, it was the first year I was in the development program with U.S. Luge. There was three or four different one-week camps. Uh, and all the camps are held in Lake Placid, New York, because there's only two tracks in the country. It's either there or Park City, Utah, and mm-hmm. it's a little easier for me to get to new york (laughs) so my parents would drive me six hours north to lake placid turn around and drive home just for one week camps once a month it was like one week november december january and february and then in the summer we'd get two week camps here and there june or july so it was countless trips for my parents miles on the car gas money being spent but then as i got older and i progressed in the sport it would get longer and longer the camps were so my trips weren't so many but i wasn't coming home as much Mm. um, until eventually my senior year of high school I was, uh, it was just before graduation, and my principal was walking through the hall, and he saw me. He goes, Jason, you know you've been absent 96 days this year? Wow. <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. He goes, how are your grades? I was like, all A's. He goes, all right, never mind.
2: Wow. That's awesome. Nice work. Yeah.
1: How did you do yeah. that on the road? Uh, well, I was traveling internationally my senior year of high school competing on the junior tour, uh, and I would work through email and fax. Wow, And all my teachers were tremendous. The school board, the school really helped me out working through that. So, uh, you know, I can only say thank you to all them
2: for all that. But. Yeah, kudos to your school for supporting that and also well done. Thank you. So what did your parents think of this? I mean, you have this 11-year-old going down these ice runs. I don't think my parents <laughs> would be too psyched about that.
1: Yeah, my, my mom has always been a huge thrill seeker. It's kind of where I get my adrenaline rush junkiness from. And uh, my dad, he's always up for a good time. So uh, when they actually took me up for my tryouts when I was 11 years old, you start really low on the track and you don't go very fast. When you start in the sport of luge, you maybe go 30 miles an hour your first run. And uh, I remember seeing them on this long straightaway, the first time ever going through. And I saw my parents on my left side and they were both looking at me smiling. And they said my grin was ear to ear. (laughs) And they said that they knew that moment that I was going to do nothing but the sport of luge for the rest of my time I'm able to.
0: So, Jason, you're our first loser to come onto the show. Not surprised by that. There's not too many of us. (laughs) And I'm guessing a lot of our listeners don't know about the intricacies, and neither do I. So we're going to learn a little bit from you, the expert. First off, Russell and I have been doing some research. There are one- and two-person sleds. Do you compete in both of those?
1: I used to. You always start out with the one-man, with singles luge, they call that singles luge, Mm -hmm. As a kid, that's how you learn how to slide, and and I I did that up until I was 20 years old. I did it on both the national and international level, slid both singles and doubles for a while. But when you turn 20 years old, the coaching staff says, all right, well, it's time to put a focus into something because you're now racing with the the senior-level athletes, so you need to be on top of your game and, and get focused. And I chose doubles because I had always found success in that discipline.
0: So I have to say, doubles is kind of funny looking. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, we get all the jokes. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, so describe it to our listeners. I guess imagine you so you have your luge sled on the ice, and then Jason lies down on it face up in that plank position, and then a person who's much taller and much bigger than you comes over and basically just lies on top of you in that same position. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird-looking dance we do. And does the bigger person always go on top, and Why?
1: Yeah, it has to do with how the sled steers and the G-forces and the curves. Uh, Just with the top man being taller, they're able to have the longer limbs out front to steer the front of the sled. Hmm. And as a smaller athlete, for aerodynamic purposes, if I'm underneath and hidden, it causes less wind resistance.
2: I mean, you start going down this super steep run going... 80 miles per hour or more, I don't even know. <laughs> Hopefully more. Hopefully more. Hopefully more, So more. we're okay. talking like
0: 86 miles an hour?
2: I've been clocked at 88. 88, wow. wow, okay. That was on my side.
1: I had already crashed in that run. Speed trap was after a crash. So I was hoping we were going about 90 to 92.
2: Oh, oh my man. Goodness. So you have this big guy laying on top of you. What are you actually doing during the run, mm-hmm. kind of tucked underneath him? Can you see anything? What's going on? Well, in
1: front of me is my teammate's helmet. So what happens <laughs> with the doubles loose sled is there's a pod made of fiberglass that I sit and lay in, and there's a seat that comes up between my legs that my teammate sits on. Then he lays his back and his head onto my chest, and that's how we go down the track. So I'm actually staring at the back of my teammate's helmet the entire run. He can give me little, little head cues with which way he's turning his head so I know which way the next curve is coming, but I really can't see during the run. So since I'm in contact with the sled and he's in contact with me and he can visually see... It's my job to make sure every movement he makes goes through my body, hits the sled, and the sled will steer the way he's expecting it to.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, and it's crazy because since I can't see, I'm never 100% sure on exactly how close we are to the wall or exactly how long the exit of a curve is. I know what it's supposed to feel like. My forte is is the feeling of the sport. But since he can see, I want to make sure that all those little movements work out because if he's not getting the run he wants – we're losing time all the way down the track.
0: That sounds like a lot of teamwork. I mean, you got to be really close with your doubles partner.
1: Oh yeah, we we consider the marriages.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Physical contact with that marriage too. So. Yeah, it's yeah, it's
1: and what's crazy is I live with my teammate for five months a year. Oh in wow! The hotel rooms on tour.
2: So who placed you guys together? This marriage was it an arranged marriage, or did you get to choose <laughs> your partner?
1: No, I'm actually on my third marriage. Uh, just just started the third one here. Uh, when I was 15 years old, the coaches, they uh, grabbed me and, and another slider. His name's Chris Mazder. We were both 15 years old, and uh, it was the end of a season. We were doing really well in singles, and the coaches said that they'd like us to try doubles together. So uh, the first time I ever learned how to do doubles was with a coach-approved partner. And we slid together from 15 to 20. And like I said earlier, that I had done a lot of successful things on the doubles discipline. We had won junior world championships. Silvers, bronze all day long in the Junior World Cup Tour. But right before the Vancouver Olympics, Chris decided to go to singles, hmm. which I was totally cool for. We had, uh, we had a really, really slim chance of making the Vancouver Olympics. Uh, there was a lot of older, more experienced athletes competing for doubles at those games. And uh, we were just happy to be 20 years old and, and anywhere near them at the time. So I said, go ahead, man, go do singles. And after Vancouver Olympics, he came back and slid one race with me. It was a national championships and we actually won that year, which was incredible. And then I got a phone call a week later from my teammate from the Sochi Olympics, Christian Nickham, after he had just finished sixth in Vancouver, he called me up saying, you really impressed me at nationals and I'd really like to slide with you for the next quad. And I was like, sure, man, I'm without a partner. Let's do this.
0: And happily ever after. (laughs) Well,
1: yeah, for four years, went to the Olympics. Um, He will be retiring officially in July. So uh, like I said, I just started my third partnership, and we got started in, right after the Olympics, actually two weeks after the Games. We jumped on a sled, and we had a national race, and we won. So it was looking good so far.
0: Does it take a while to mesh with that new partner? It definitely can. There's a lot of different styles to
1: sliding, and I know a lot of athletes that have tried to do doubles with different partners, having trouble with some of them. I was fortunate enough that when I started, when I was younger, we were great. It was really easy for us to learn. And I actually haven't had a single run with a different teammate. And I've slid with seven or eight different guys just taking runs for fun. And it always seems to work. But I do know that there's a lot of people that have trouble.
2: Yeah. And you mentioned it's it's almost like a marriage, which is just very interesting to me. You're with them for five months of the year living with them.
1: Yeah. All day, every day you're in the gym working out. You're You're in the car on the road, traveling from city to city. You're in the hotel room.
2: Are there things that you've learned from this that you've then applied in your everyday life, uh, just interacting with people and spending a lot of time with people?
1: Patience. Absolutely. It's funny, I'm I'm only 25 years old, and my teammate from the Olympics was 36. Oh. So we're totally different parts of our lives. He has three kids and a wife. I, uh, I have a girlfriend, <laughs> no kids, and uh, I would watch and learn from him. When he asked me to be his partner, I said to myself, this is going to be a huge learning curve for me because he was already a two-time Olympian. He knew what he was doing. I could learn a lot just from the way he slid. And I think the last four years, beyond just being successful and making it to the Olympics, that I'd learned so much just from watching my teammate every day for five months a year for four years.
0: Very cool. Yeah, surrounding yourself with that Greater talent yeah. is super important.
1: Definitely upped my game for sure.
0: To switch gears a little bit, but we still want to learn about luge. I want to talk about the clothing that you're wearing. <laughs> Not the clothing you're wearing right now. Right, but, speed <laughs> but suits. The speed suits, yes. Yeah, of course. So lately there have been a lot of advancements in the technology and clothing, whether it's swimming or speed skaters, and the losers are doing the same. Those things have to be pretty uncomfortable, huh?
1: uh actually it's it's snug like a glove oh okay i actually uh i've been in the sport for 14 years i've been wearing the suits for 14 years and i mean yeah they're tight but it feels right it's like when you get a new baseball mitt or something and you still have the smell of the leather when i put on a new suit i feel like a (laughs) thousand (laughs) bucks
0: it's weird do you ever wear your luge suit when you're doing other things that you want to do really fast (laughs) (laughs) ever that'd be that'd be hilarious though I think I wore it for Halloween once. Is that
2: allowed? Yeah, I, that's not necessarily a costume. I feel like is your it? buddy yeah. could wear it for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. But, oh. yeah, that's funny. So to kind of keep this rolling on the the suits and and some of the other technological advances you've had in your sport, do you think that those have played a really big part in the faster times you've seen in luges, or do you think that the athletes are just getting stronger and and better at the sport?
1: Hmm. Uh, what? Well, that's a, that's a tricky one. I mean, the sport itself has evolved worlds since even I've gotten involved in the 14 years, but the technology is huge. There's no question about it. If you don't have a, a fast sled, you can't win a race. Uh, no matter how well you're, you're ready, prepared your body. There's a lot of retired athletes that I wish I could have seen in their prime. There's a little guy from Germany who won five Olympic medals. Wow! He's been retired for about 12 years now. He's a German coach, and they're incredibly fast. He He's always had the fastest sled in the world, and he's a little bit ahead of the curve on sled technology. Hmm. And uh, his specific athletes from his hometown, there's three guys and a girl. They each won their Olympic races, and then they all won the team event together as well, so...
2: Interesting. Yeah, I was doing yeah. a little bit of research on the history of luge in, in the Olympics and the World German Championship. German domination. How, how, what is going on with Germany? How, like what separates them other than, I mean, you can't be just the sled. Obviously, there has to be something else about the athletes, well
1: too. Well, you think about Germany, their organization has government funding, and they've had it forever. So they have a lot of um, money backing them up. I actually trained in Germany for two weeks, uh, two years ago, with two of my really good friends on the German team who uh, actually just won the Olympics. Uh, I went and trained with them because I knew that they were the best in the world at the time and I wanted to learn from them. They were doing stuff that I had never seen before over here. They had guys with computers at some of our training exercises, getting numbers from stuff I'd never even thought of getting numbers from. And they're all looking at like computer screens and analyzing. Wow, we are behind the curve.
0: Wow, that's very interesting to hear just because you you would think that at the top of the sport no matter basically no matter what country you're in I mean especially developed countries you would think that there would be that same technology there but
1: it was almost as if I was at a Gatorade commercial (laughs) you know what I mean you guys are strapped up to stuff and running on treadmills oh wow yeah, they have. They do all that kind of the testing. We don't do that stuff. But
2: So what was the biggest surprise to you of things that they were looking at that they thought could be advantageous?
1: I knew what they were looking for, but how they were going about it is beyond me. The specific thing I'm talking about, uh, for our starts in luge, we don't run. We pull off of handles and paddle down the ice with spikes on our gloves. And we do flat ice training in hockey rinks. So we'll go to a hockey rink and... Literally take a sled, put it on the ice, and just paddle around for an hour working on technique, uh, speed, aggression, different points of the the paddles themselves. They had a flat ice training session with me in Germany, and they were taking a computer and a camera and videotaping the guys coming down the ice. And then the computer screen would show how powerful each paddle was. Wow. And I have no idea how they were getting that number because there was no little devices on the athletes themselves. Hmm. There's no device on the ice itself totally took me by surprise and it awed me and i was like well that's why you guys are so darn
2: good (laughs) so it sounds like they're putting a ton of money into this technology is that really worth it for a country to be investing in basically gold medals at the olympics i think so
1: yeah well it's funny because luge over there they watch every week on live television it's like a real deal they love luge in germany
2: are there more participants that aren't olympic athletes
1: I believe there are. I believe they do have clubs over there. But you think, the United States is how big, and we have two luge tracks. One's in Lake Placid, New York, and one's far away in Park City, Utah. Germany has four tracks in a very small country in relation to the United States.
0: Yeah.
1: And each of those tracks definitely has a club that slides with them. And I've been to World Cups in in Oberhof, Germany. It's a really small town. Three-year-old kids sliding luge oh, in training God. sessions. <laughs>
0: Farm them, <laughs> yeah.
1: They're just breeding for luge over yeah. there.
0: Well, we could talk about Germany a little bit more, but I'd rather talk about the U.S. and you. So let's talk about this Olympic run that you had this past year. And I mean, how amazing was that? Did you just have goosebumps that entire trip at Sochi? Uh,
1: Sochi itself was a huge relief. Huh. This whole season, this last maybe a little over a year up into the games was so stressful for me just because I wanted it so badly and I knew that I had to wait and wait to find out if I was going to go um that actually being at the games and getting to experience all the great things that I went through was total relief and total enjoyment
2: how did your actual runs go I know that overall you you finished 6th in one of your events
1: I had had high very high expectations for myself and my teammate at the games like I said earlier when we started out 4 years ago right after Vancouver We were very successful together. We actually scored a bronze medal in our second World Cup together. So we had a lot of potential. And then my teammate had actually injured his back twice in the past three years, gone through two back surgeries and an Achilles tendon surgery, and he was getting old. So, I mean, we really wanted a shot at the podium, but just the way his body was holding out and the sliding had been going over the past month prior to the games, I knew that really wasn't in the realm. So we really just wanted to have a solid performance, two two good runs for the doubles race, and then hopefully qualify ourselves for the team relay event, which we did get to do. We weren't really too stoked with the runs at the games. We did hit two walls, uh, one in each of the runs, but no crashes, nothing like that. Sochi, in reference to lose tracks, is quite easy, actually. Hmm. It's a track that wants to do the work for you.
0: What do you see or what do you feel in a track where you need to do the work, where the track's not doing the work for you?
1: Well, they say there's two different kinds of tracks in the world. There's technical tracks, and then there's glider tracks. Mm. And the technical tracks are tight turns, quick transitions. you got to be on top of your game with your steering. And then the gliding tracks are more of who can let the sled run and be comfortable while sliding. And uh, Sochi was more of the latter. For me, it's how the pressure points feel and how, how I feel the... I can actually hear a lot of wind going by when we're sliding. And I can kind of gauge on how we're doing by how loud it's getting around my head. And uh, Sochi was, there was never a point where I couldn't think about exactly what I was doing, where I was like, we're going really fast or we're out of control. It was kind of just a relaxed go for.
0: So you're telling me that throughout your race, I mean, we're talking almost 90 miles an hour, you can hear the difference between say when you're going 88 miles an hour and then 84 miles an hour? You're...
1: Not not those digits, not down to the mile an hour, but I can get a good good grasp on what's going on. Just There's parts of the track that you can hear whistle by, uh, expansion joints in the track that aren't fully iced over, and you can hear the little hole with a little bit of wind in it, and uh, I can tell by how fast I go past those points.
2: I've heard you say that, every run you do, no matter if it's the Olympics or just practicing, you, you feel some sort of adrenaline. Oh, yeah. Which I mean, that's, I understand that because you're only so fast, but does that affect your decision-making, or are you just so used to that where you, you've kind of got it dialed down?
1: Uh, I feel like that's my normal state.
2: <laughs>
1: um, it's
2: literally the second you
1: pull off when you, you get done paddling and you lay down, it's you and gravity and this, and this yeah. long sheet of ice that you're going down and there's really only about six inches below you, and all you got on is your helmet. You come up to finish, your, your heart's pounding every time, you're you're breathing deep, and you're like, yeah, I just did that.
2: Is that something that you crave on a daily yeah. basis?
1: Right now, I haven't been on ice in just about two months, and the other day I caught myself
2: itching to slide. Is there anything else in your life that you've craved in a similar fashion to this?
1: Uh, not so much but the closest feeling that I've ever gotten to sliding has been riding my motorcycle.
0: So Russell alluded to this earlier, and I'm sure it's kind of an inevitable question that our listeners are wondering, and that's the crashes in in luge. And we were talking a little bit before the show, and you said crashes happen very frequently, actually.
1: Luge is the fastest sport on ice, so we're faster than bobsled, faster than skeleton. And in a comparison to what the runners look like, Bobsled and skeleton runners are comparable to a ball bearing, and ours are more comparable to a speed skating blade. So we have a lot more control than they do as well. Mm-hmm. So when we steer, the sled will move for us pretty much on a dime. That can get you into trouble if you get caught lollygagging or not paying attention to exactly what's going on in front of you. I've crashed oh, over 100 times in my career, yeah. but it's almost always a little rollover, and you can actually push yourself back to getting upright and finish the run.
2: Is that something that you think about each run, that there's a chance that nothing's gone terribly wrong for you yet, but there is a chance that something could?
1: No. I mean, there's always risk in whatever you do. And I know that doing the sport of luge, I'm putting myself at a little bit higher risk than the everyday life go to work. But I've never sat at the top of a run and thought, well, I could really hurt myself doing this.
0: So one thing that Russell and I really like about sports, and we're kind of uh, transitioning toward this topic is that, you know, you learn lessons that really apply to your everyday life. And we talked about the friendship a little bit earlier and, you know, lessons like controlling emotions and persevering. What other lessons or skills have you acquired in the sport of luge that are going to apply, you know, down the road when maybe you won't be able to pursue this as a profession anymore?
1: For my real life, uh, there's definitely determination I've learned that no matter what I want to do after the sport or within the sport, if I don't put my mind to it, it's not going to get done. And uh, I try and take every opportunity that I get. Uh, It's not every day, even like this interview right now, this is awesome for me. I know some athletes probably wouldn't even bat an eye, but I think it's really cool to just seize every opportunity you can, no matter what you're doing. I've gotten to see some really cool things out there. Just on travel days, because I was like, hey, let's go check something out and Since we're passing by, we might as well go look at that. Uh, And I hope to continue doing that the rest of my life and and trying to seize every major opportunity I can within the moment.
0: Very cool. Very inspirational. I like that. To kind of start to wrap things up, we like to ask our guests for a gear recommendation because you are a guru, a professional athlete, somebody who's using gear all the time. Do you have a recommended piece of gear for our listeners?
1: Yeah, for a team where we're always rocking uh, avalanche, ski and outerwear stuff they hook us up keep us warm during the winter
0: and you probably have to be warm especially when you're not moving at all before your run, right oh yeah there's uh we do track
1: walks almost a daily basis in negative degree weather Mm -hmm. and it's much easier to be warm and walk the track than it is to freeze
2: (laughs) (laughs) oh we'll we'll put uh that resource on our website mtnmeister.com feel free to check that out uh to kind of wrap this whole thing up As a professional athlete, it's not just all success, success, success. What's one of the challenges that you have being a uh, professional athlete?
1: Uh, Well, the biggest challenge is being a professional athlete. We're actually considered amateur status in the eyes of the public. Hmm. So for me, just fundraising and making sure that we can make enough money to fund the team and travel every year is probably the biggest thing. Every year we try and make some money and it's always tough, especially with the economy the way it's been the past few years but it's exciting sport want to keep doing it right
2: we ran into a similar challenge with the ski jumper and how you know the u.s doesn't fund their athletes completely because you said it's amateur status same with his sport seems like you have had a lot of really good support though you did raise enough money to get yourself to sochi
1: Yeah, the outcry of support has been tremendous for me.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Ben and I learned a ton, things we didn't even expect. So (laughs) I didn't realize that luge marriage was legal in Pennsylvania. And so (laughs) that's good to know. And then any other things we talked about, resources, like I said earlier, you can find on our website, mtnmeister.com. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
2: Hey Meister fans, thanks for tuning in to Jason Turdeman's episode. Ben, it's story time. Tell us about an adventure when you wish you had Instagram. So one time my
0: family and I took a ski vacation out west and we went out for a leisurely hike. What we did was took the Vail Gondola up to the top of the mountain and we were going to take a quick hike, a, you know, a four or five mile hike around the top and then catch the gondola for the way down. But we ended up taking a little too long and they decided to close the gondola before we had a chance. So we ended up having to hike down the entire mountain and I think the cumulative downhill hike was around 11 miles because we had to zigzag back and forth. So wasn't really expecting that. So I think a, a tired picture of the
2: entire family would be a funny Instagram photo. If anyone has any adventures of their own, just tag us in your Instagram photos. Ben and I would love to see what you're up to. Tomorrow's episode, we have Jay Prentice. He got himself in one of those situations that you have to pinch yourself to believe that it's real. Listen tomorrow to find out more.